from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. Chapter 15. The Villa Pirani lay in the wooded hills between Villa Franche and Monaco, looking out over Cap Ferrat, which stretched like a vast verdant hand into the blue Mediterranean. The house itself, an enormous rambling structure, was built at the turn of the century in imitation Second Empire style, with an elaborate facade of turrets, curlicues and balconies. Despite the ornamentations, the villa somehow managed to drab appearance, Carr thought. Uh, hello, welcome to the show. My name is Hugh, your name is Hunter. This show is for Christ's sake. We're reading, what are we reading, what are we reading? Uh, scratch one. We're up to chapter 15 of this, this amazing book, uh, written by Michael Crichton under the pseudonym John Lang. Not John Lange? No, not John Lange, apparently. Um, and, uh, I've got a glass of blood red port. I've got a bowl of, uh, stale pretzels, even though they were freshly opened yesterday. They were stale upon opening and I'm disappointed in this home brand packet. And I've had the same brand before and it wasn't stale and this time it was stale. I should complain, but it was like $2, so not getting that money back. Um, how about you? Uh, I got a, uh... Nice tall glass of uh, blood orange screwdriver and some salt and vinegar potato chips. Uh, I had to deviate a little bit because uh, I went to the store a couple times and it had had this specific brand of uh, salt and vinegar chips that I like, so I had to get Pringles, but still counts. So. And uh, what has happened in the preceding 14 chapters, Hunter? All right, so we got this uh, simp lawyer named Roger Carr. Mm-hmm. who maybe he hasn't started the novel as a simp, but has definitely become a simp by this chapter. I think you'll agree with me. Yeah. And he's gone to Europe uh, in order to secure a villa for his boss, uh, the governor, the ominously named the governor. And, uh, well, you know, when he's on there, you know what happens when you go to Europe. Uh, someone bombs the plane. And basically, long story short, he's mistaken for an agent whose name is Morgan who is coming to France in order to um, make sure that this arms deal between, seems like a variety of parties, but mainly Israel and Denmark goes off well. Sweden. Or is it Norway? Okay. Sweden. Oh, I, wait. Actually, I've forgotten. Iceland? No, I think it might. It's definitely Iceland. It wasn't Iceland. Let's just go real quick to the beginning of the book. It may have been Sweden. Um, no, Denmark. Denmark. Is it Denmark? Yeah. Chapter 2, Saturday, Copenhagen, Denmark. So. No, no, but there's that guy from Denmark. But he's not necessarily the... No, he says... Well, he actually says he's Nor- yeah, Norwegian, so... <laughs> <laughs> 
We definitely haven't been saying Denmark every episode. No, my, my memory is like based on our previous recaps, not so much the novel. Well, well he's some some fucking you know Scandinavian bastard. Um, yeah, and um, so they're trying to make that still happen, and various intelligence agencies of France and Great Britain and uh, the good old USA or China. You know, they want to sell arms to Israel, probably to, I don't know, like do a death squad or something. That's what the U.S. typically supports. And he's gotten into all sorts of hijinks as a result. He's become the target of a nefarious group called the Associates, who are a French Algerian um, terrorist network. Uh, And their goals seem to be pretty ill-defined, but needless to say, they want to stop this arms deal to... Israel for I actually don't really understand what their motivation is for wanting to stop that. But well, they uh, they don't specify if this organization has its own peculiar motivation. By they, mm-hmm. I mean Michael Crichton and John Lang. I guess the two people. Yeah. Right now. Um, it doesn't specify whether they have a particular motivation for stopping the plan, but they the the book makes mention of the fact that the Muslim countries in the region yeah are wary about you know. Israel's uh, military power. Yeah. Because there had been a previous incident where America had supplied Israel with materials they used to create a, some sort of nuclear facility or something. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like the uh, associates are Muslim. They all have like French names. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's why I don't know exactly what's going on with this organization, but the the, the book itself mysterious. speculated some general motivations as to why the other countries in the region didn't want Israel to get these. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they're just like freelance terrorists slash like mafiosos that are just conducting evil on the, or not evil, I guess, but conducting this, uh, you know, basically uh, front of the Cold War on behalf of these other countries. Hmm. Um, anyway, so yeah, we got uh, the head one with Sal, who is a surgeon. He likes to torture people. And the only other member we've really gotten to know is a hired gun named Bauer, who is uh, incompetent and uh, ugly German man. Uh, who is Brower, to, whatever. He was tempted to uh, get car and has failed numerous occasions. <laughs> And uh, let's see, I don't, I, the last couple of chapters of the book are kind of fuzzy to me, um, but uh, a big sort of, uh, we've, we've been introduced, I would say, to the uh, tertiary or, or secondary lead character, who is Ann Chitterden, who is a Aussie like you, uh, and you get a little bit of her Aussie-ness. Crittenden. Yeah, whatever. In, her, in this uh, chapter, because um, she says bloody at one point, um, but... Uh, you know, Carr has been sort of fucking his way across Europe up to this point. But now he is, um, he's gone from Alpha to Simp all in one fell swoop. And uh, he has fallen head over heels for this uh, uh, leggy dancer. Um, despite the fact that, you know, he's 37 and probably should have, feels like he should have been married by this point, you know, but mm. whatever. <laughs> Uh, the book wants to pretend that he's still like pretty young, but he doesn't like strike me. I mean, there seems to be sort of a break between his characterization and the action that he's committing in his age. Um, it's just a little weird, but you know, whatever. 
Uh, and let's see. In the last chapter, they had they were headed to the villa, which is the object of the governor's attention. And um, they stopped off and had a nice picnic. Yep. And that's where he left off. Uh, now, as you so elegantly uh, set up, we have entered into the villa. And what shall we find there? I'm just looking at Michael Grant's age. I just want, I'm just curious about how old he was in the mid '60s. Must have, he was like in his twenties, right? So he was born in 1942. So yeah, because these are called like the med school years. So yeah, he would have only been like 25 or something. That fits Carr more than 37 does. Yeah, it does. That's why I was wondering why is it 37? Was was Crichton that age or something? But I was evidently not. He's projecting. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, maybe he's just trying to, like, you know, patch it on to, like, James Bond. Hmm. But, I mean, this book isn't quite as much of a uh, obvious um, riff on the Bond formula as uh, Odds On was, so. Even though it definitely is, has an influence. This feels more like a shitty, like, Euro knockoff of a Bond film, I have to say. Mm. Like the one with Sean Connery's brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a Lemmy Caution film or something like that, you know? All right, so as I, as I so elegantly uh, set up it, then you probably ignored. What do they find in the uh, villa? What do they find in the villa? Uh, they find, first of all, the real estate agent um, that we were previously introduced to, Graf. Mm. Then inside the villa proper... Uh, we get introduced to the current owner, whose name is, what's his name? Signora Peronani. His name is, yeah, Senor Perani. And uh, Carr and Peroni enter into negotiations. And uh, they, 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 they negotiate. <laughs> they do. And Carr wins out. Mm. But, uh, as important to note, he only wins out because uh, it is evident to him that the Senor is... Uh, in need of some cash and therefore willing to um, settle on a lower price than yeah. he might have otherwise been able to secure. Yeah, um, yeah. it's clear that he just wants to, to get rid of this property in a hurry, take the cash and run. Mm-hmm. Carr realizes this and uses it to his advantage. Secures the villa for a cool sum of uh, 400000 mm-hmm. And that's that. Business done. Yeah, book over. Uh, then he drops off he drops off um, Anne again at the casino or something. I don't know where they yeah. went. Yeah, well, he uh, he wants to go to dinner with her, but uh, she implies that she is meeting with another man and cannot uh, attend to his whims. Yeah. Uh, so he drops her off, and then they make plans to meet later that night at 12.30, which seemed rather late to me. Hmm. Uh, but I guess if you're a, a high-powered lawyer at an executive uh, law firm and a dancer, that is um, a mere dash of nighttime. Along the way, we are treated to uh, another observation by um, Carr slash Michael Crichton slash John Lang about women. I believe I highlighted the same passage, but because you brought it up, I will allow you to have it. We should have a... Uh, uh, Another, a different segment for these, which is just like, you know, Crichton's wisdom or something like that. Mm. But I'll let you uh, have the honors. He's riding men proud. Come on, let's hear it right about now. For crying out loud. 
Carr had learned the difficult lesson that, though every woman wishes to be put on a pedestal, sooner or later she wants to be hauled down. Uh, is that your experience of women too? Yeah, I learned everything I know about women from this book and also the 40-year-old version. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything else to say about that. Uh, obviously, it's uh, pretty misogynistic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep you with the uh, general tenor that uh, Crayon seems to... What are, what are you bumping about? Crayon seems to have had uh, regarding women in this period and uh, perhaps the entirety of his, his written works. I guess we'll find out in, uh, over the course of the next, uh, you know, eternity when we cover all these books. <laughs> we'll see if he evolved at all in his uh, understanding of the fair sex. Okay, so from there we shift to Brower, the aforementioned Brower, who uh, assassinates the assassin who has been sent in um, to replace Morgan, I guess, who's never going to show up again. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it, this this book is a real waiting for Morgan. Mm. Yeah, he kind of ices this dude who we don't really know anything about. Um, I was wondering if by the description it was supposed to be like a James Bond illusion, except except like a meaner assassin version of James Bond with a scar. I, I didn't really get that vibe. But he was dressed smartly in a suit, so. <laughs> yeah, Bond is not Bond is not a scar. <laughs> I know. I just said Bond with a scar. Like that's oh, the one okay. exception. A mean Bond. Short. I mean, I don't really know what Bond's uh, looks are in the uh, in the novels because I don't think I read any of them since I was a teenager, so I can't really comment one way or the other. I've heard maybe from Russia with Love on an abridged audio cassette. It's about it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> so you you have a rich understanding of the Bond canon, is what you're saying? Well, I mean, the Bond canon includes the films, so. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, by the time this book was released, what had uh, um, Doctor No even come out yet? Yeah, Doctor No had come out. Doctor No is like nineteen sixty-two, so like let's four see. years. Let's see. Yeah, sixty-two. That's true. The second one may have even come out by this point, right? Uh, I'll find out. But uh, I will say that the associates are very like uh, Spectre and uh, yes. the Bond movies. Yes, so you're pretty actually. Uh, Four of the films had come out by this point. Jesus. So, yeah, they really pumped us out. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, they're about to come out with uh, uh, my personal favorite of the Connery Bonds because of how offensive it is. Uh, you only love twice. So, mm. I watched that film so many times when I was a kid. I watched all the Bond films a lot, actually. Yeah, me too. I remember specifically there was a channel... Uh, in the States that would marathon all of them mm. on Christmas Eve. And I always remember having this Christmas tradition of watching a lot of the Bond movies on Christmas Eve. Um, yeah. What are we talking about? So Brower murders this dude. There's not really much to it. He shoots him with a dumb, dumb bullet. Yep. Um, and then uh, we cut back to car meeting back up with Am and uh, I don't really know what they were going to do. They go driving. They're just sort of hanging out, and then she, her mood changes. And she's like, take me home. Mm. And then she directs him to uh, the mansion that is presumably Lissau's, right? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Like just, the, just the associates in general, you know? Because, I mean, 
The reason we know in this chapter, and I'm not, I'm not saying the fact that I'm not saying this because we've read the next chapter, but the reason we know that this might be uh, Lissau's hideout or mansion or whatever. Yeah, because they closed the gate. Is because no, because Brower assassinated the guy there. Yeah. Because okay. because the assassin yeah. had come and was spying on a mansion through binoculars in the same location. And Brower shot him. And I don't, I don't want to trouble like uh, keeping my attention during this chapter. <laughs> I had to reread a couple of sections. And then later in the chapter, Anne directs um, Carr to the same place, right? Yeah, I buy it. So we're like, oh, okay, well, obviously this is the bad guy hideout. And as we suspected, Anne does have a connection with them, right? Yep, yep. Uh, Carr attempts to leave and after he drops Anne off and she's crying for some reason. Yep, and she says, I'm sorry as well. Mm. He's like, what's that about? Or rather, what's that about? Yeah, that's it. And um, he attempts to leave, but the gate is closed. And then he gets besought by two thugs when he, get, when he gets out of his car to check the gate. And unfortunately, yes, the gate has been locked. Someone, presumably early in the night, shouted out, Lock the gates! <laughs> and um, then uh, Carr gets the shit kicked out of him, which I thought was very enjoyable. Mm. <laughs> Though I didn't like that at one point he got kind of got the upper hand by kicking someone to the groin, but basically uh, he breaks his nose, or, I mean, I guess he learned that later. He has some portion of his face broken. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he gets knocked unconscious, and that's the end of the chapter. Yep. See you next week. I mean, two days from now, whatever it is. Come on, where's your energy, bro? <laughs> Bye.